a little uh, a little different um, order of things today. A new year, new new order. Um, yeah, so we're gonna try something a little bit different later when it comes time for communion. But um, right now, I want you guys, if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand, and one of the ushers will give you a bulletin. One thing that we're gonna be trying for the course of this year is uh, something that the church has practiced for hundreds and thousands of years. It's called a catechism. And for the next 52 weeks, we as a church, we're going to be uh, reciting together this catechism. So in your bulletins, uh, you'll see on the first page, a catechism is the way that the church taught Christians what it means to be a Christian. It taught them uh, truths and doctrines and and, uh, other church teachings. And so uh, it's generally phrased in a way where there's a question and there's an answer. So I'm going to ask the question, and together we as a church family, we will uh, say the answer together, okay? So if you guys all have your bulletins on the front page here, what is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so clearly this is going to take a lot of work. We haven't done this before. Uh, so maybe I'll try it one more time, all right? For those of you who you know have families at home and um, you want to just do this with your kids, this is also a great way for you to teach your children uh, what it is that the church believes, that the Christians believe. All right, so let me ask one more time. What is our only hope in life and death? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. Very good. Uh, let me pray, and then we're going to get started in today's message, all right? So will you guys pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I am so grateful that you are a God of all things, a God of new things, a God of new years even. And I pray, God, as we look at your word, as we look at each other, we realize, Lord, that you have given us this family to love and to be loved by, uh, to experience your love through. And so, Father, I pray as we look at your word, would you make our hearts soften uh, towards one another? Would you make our hearts soften towards your word? And would your spirit speak to us? Uh, I pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So how many of you guys, um, how many of you guys make New Year's resolutions? Just curious. All right, good. I'm actually very surprised. So for those of you who don't see, there's probably only two or three hands that went up. I I like making New Year's resolution. It feels like reset, right? Like it's a new year. You can start over. Last year was not great in certain areas. So you're like, okay, this year I'm going to try harder. You know, uh, every year I try to make a uh, somewhat New Year's resolution, but I don't tell people so they don't hold me accountable. So, you know, I, I, I try to to look at my life and say, well, here's an area of my life that really did not grow very well this last year, and and I want to address it. For me personally, this year, in 2019, I I just want to spend more time reading the Bible devotionally. And so I know for many of you guys, you're thinking, well, you're a pastor, that's kind of your job, but uh, there's a difference for me in in terms of what it means to study God's Word, and especially to preach, but to, to just let God speak to me as I read His Word. So that's one of my New Year's resolution, but for many of us, we take the New Year's as an opportunity to say, what is an area that is, is really important to us? What is an area that, that is fundamental to the growth of my family, the growth of my, my personal self, or even the growth of our church? 
last year we we asked this fundamental question what is the purpose of the church why do we exist as a church why are we here i know there's churches all over cupertino there's churches all over the bay area and last year we took a look at the last words that jesus said to his disciples he said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the very end of the age and over the past year that has been our purpose that has been our goal that has been what we have strived to do and we actually have made great progress when it comes to making disciples we have started new relationships of disciple making and and we're going to continue to make disciples as a church until Jesus Christ comes again just because it's a new year doesn't mean we change our purpose as a church but in a similar vein i want to ask another question and i want us to consider what this question uh the answer to this question for this upcoming year for this year 2019 and that question is what is the church what is the nature of the church we already know what we're supposed to do as a church we're supposed to be making disciples that make disciples that make disciples But what is the church? What is the nature of the church? What are we supposed to be? Sometimes we'll say, well, you know, we go to church, right? And that presumes church is a location. It's it's a building. Or sometimes you'll hear people say, well, we just had church. And and that presumes that church is an activity where there's singing and there's listening and there's, there's sharing and there's teaching. Sometimes you'll hear people talk about the local church. or the universal church or the visible and invisible church. And I fear that the church term is used so loosely that perhaps we've lost some of the radical subversive nature of what Jesus meant when he talked about the church, what the New Testament authors meant when they talked about the church. We have a theme verse every year, and the theme verse for us this year comes from Ephesians chapter 2. verse 19 it's up here on the screen but if you have your bibles go ahead and and turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and i'm going to read it for us and i just want the words to kind of sink in so then paul writes to the church in ephesus but he writes to you and to me the church in cupertino so then you are no longer strangers you are no longer aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You see Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's telling them this profound mystery. You guys used to be foreigners, you guys used to be uh, barbarians, we call you Gentiles. You had nothing to do with God or the household of God or the promises of God. But somehow in this great mystery called Jesus Christ somehow in the great mystery called salvation somehow in the great mystery that happened on the cross god has brought you into his kingdom god has brought you a foreigner and made you a citizen but even more so god has brought you an outsider and made you his son and his daughter I have two girls many of you know that but imagine if you have children and your children come home one day and and they bring a friend over and they're like hey mom dad we're going to we're going to go play or we're going to go study like okay good you know go go study don't play but you know like 
study while you play. And so, you know, they're coming around and, and all of a sudden this friend comes down and he just opens up your fridge and starts pulling stuff out. And you're like, um, can I help you? Is there, is there something you need? He's like, no, no, I'm just, I'm just seeing what, what's good in the fridge. I'm like, oh, okay. He's like, oh, by the way, and he pulls out his backpack and there's a whole backpack full of laundry, dirty laundry. He's like, hey, by the way, can you, can you wash this? I, I like them folded really nicely too. He hands them to you. And you're just kind of looking at him a little, you know, quizzically. And he's like, oh, you know, I, you, you have 20 bucks? <laughs> Want to go watch a movie later? And you're thinking, um, don't you have a mom and dad somewhere that, that love you and care for you and feed you and fold your clothes or, or, you know, do whatever? Like, you're not my kid. And some of you guys are looking at each other because that happens to you all the time. But you're looking at them, you're like, you're not my kid. You're not part of my family. If my daughters came to me and said, dad, I'm hungry, I said, go look in the fridge. If my daughters came to me and said, hey, you know, you know, the clothes are dirty. I said, okay, well, throw them in the washing machine. If my daughters came to me and said, hey, I need money for it. I said, okay, well, just let me know what you need. But if they're not my kids, right, they don't have the same rights. They don't have the same privilege. That's the difference between being an outsider and being a family member of God. God does this incredible thing for all of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. He says, you once were foreigners, you once were outsiders, you once were not a part of my family, but now, now you are a part of my family. Now you are a part of, of, of the Christian family. John begins the description of what Jesus came to do in his gospel. In John chapter 1, but to all who did receive him. So this is, this is anybody who's a Christian here today. If you have received Jesus Christ, who believe in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. They're not biological. They're not born of blood, nor of flesh, nor the will of man. But God says, you are now my child. You see, when we become followers of God, not only does God save us, from hell. Not only does God give us eternal life, not only does God forgive all of our sins, not only does God give us purpose and give us hope, not only does God give us himself in the Holy Spirit, but he says, hey, you know what, guys? I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to give you a new father. I'm going to give you new brothers, and I'm going to give you new sisters. And I'm going to adopt you into my family with all the rights and all the privileges that comes with being a child of God. And at the core of what the church is, it's being a part of God's family. That's what the church is. That is what we are called to be. Now, one thing we often overlook, I fear, especially in American Christianity, we tend to be a little bit more independent. We tend to be a little bit more isolated. But one thing we often overlook when we become Christians, when we are saved, is not only are we saved from hell not only are we saved for God, but we're actually saved for community. There is no salvation that, that is apart from a community of believers. When we are saved, when salvation occurs, it is a community-creating event. Paul, uh, Jesus addresses his disciples here. And so the, the disciples are saying, you know, we kind of gave up a lot to follow you, right? He says, see, we have left everything and we followed you. And Jesus says, truly, I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brother or sister or mother, or father, or children, lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. 
not only in heaven, housing, brothers, sisters, mother, children, land, with uh, persecution in the age to come eternal life. What Jesus is saying is, listen, I understand when you become a Christian, there may be a cost. There may be a cost to following me, especially in the first century. We know that to be a follower of Jesus Christ, many Christians were persecuted. Many Christians were, in fact, executed. Families would disown those who decided to follow the way of Jesus Christ. And Jesus here is saying, if you follow me, if you make me your Lord, and your family disowns you, your family hates you, your family doesn't understand what you're doing, let me tell you, you have a new family. A family a hundredfold bigger than your current family. A, a family that you will share for all eternity with. A family that you will learn to love and they will learn to love you. There's a biblical scholar by the name of Joseph Hellerman. I, I used him before. He talks a lot about first century, uh, or he studies a lot of first century Mediterranean culture. A lot of honor, shame. And that's what Jesus was in the context of. And he uses this term that I think is so, uh, is so interesting and it's so profound. He says, it is time to inform our people that conversion to Christ involves both our justification. Now, that's a big word I know, but it simply means that God makes us just. God creates this justness in us through his son, Jesus Christ, and familyfication, that we gain a new father and a new set of brothers and sisters when we respond to the gospel. It is time to communicate the biblical reality that personal salvation is a community-creating event. So I just want that to sink in because I think a lot of us, when we come to faith, we think, well, the most important thing is my personal relationship with Jesus Christ, me and God. And of course, we come to church, but when we come to church, it's so that I can have a better relationship with God. But what I'd like for us to realize, and hopefully over the course of this year, we begin to unpack and flesh out what scripture really talks about when we come to faith we are actually entering into a family. We're being adopted into a family that God has specifically prepared for you and for me to practice what it means to love, to practice what it means to forgive, to practice what it means to speak truth, to encourage, and to exhort. When we become Christians, it is a community-creating event. We are saved into a community. So for the remainder of this message, I want to highlight four characteristics that should be a hallmark of our church family. All right, so look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is probably one of the more well-known verses of what the early church looks like. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, this is the early Christians, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. The first characteristic that I want to highlight that the early church had that I believe we should exhibit as well is that we should be sharing materially with one another. 
We should be sharing materially with one another. When the early church was first established, the early Christians, they understood the radical call of Jesus Christ. They understood what Jesus was calling them to do. He was calling them literally to die to their old lives. Many of the disciples left all that they had. We, we just read a verse that said, well, we left family, we left jobs, we left futures, we left inheritance. They understood that being a Christian was more than a title that you would have. It's more than a necklace that you would wear. It's more than an association that you would put on your resume. They understood that being a Christian was not something that you would show up for occasionally or for certain holidays. They understood that God has given them a brand new family. And to be part of that new family meant to share all that they had with others, especially those who did not have enough. Now take a look at the way that they were sharing. They were selling their uh, possessions they were sacrificially giving to one another. That's, that's a hallmark of the Christian family. It's a hallmark of the Christian faith. John says this. We actually read this a couple months ago. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And what John is telling the early church, this is a little bit later on, but what John is telling the early church is, as Christians, God has blessed us with material possessions. And our calling as a family is we take care of those in the family of God. For those who do not have enough, for those who have need, we care for them. And that's hard, I think, for many of us here in this church. I, I, I think, you know, the first issue that, that we have to address is we need to begin to develop a heart to share. Because especially in this valley, we like to think of things as mine. In fact, that's like probably one of the first words many kids learn, mine. It's like, oh, here, here's a toy, mine. Or, here, or here's a mine, I, I want this. Mine, even with my girls today, when I have like, you know, two snacks, the, one of them will always say, oh, I want this one, this is mine. As followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded that there is no such thing as mine. It's all God's. We're simply stewards. And if it's all God's, then we have to ask God, what is it that you want me to do with this? How can I bless your people, your family? This is your son and your daughter, my brother and my sister. How can I be a blessing to other people? We have to develop a heart where we say, hey, you know, when I share this with my brother and my sister, it makes my Heavenly Father happy. For those of you who are parents, you know how true this is. You know that when you see your kids, they're fighting, it just drives you insane. But when you see them sharing with one another, it just there's something about your parental heart that's just like, yeah, I love to see my kids sharing with each other. And I think God gives us that heart when God says, this is your family. You care for them. You love them. The second part about uh, sharing materially is we need to know. And I think this is hard too because one of the challenges that we face as a church community here, the home of Christ church, is we just don't know. It's really hard for us to know who has needs and who doesn't. Everybody comes in and generally everybody looks pretty well put together. Right? So part of our challenge as a church 
hopefully in this year, as we address those issues, say, hey, do you know what is going on with this person? Do you know that this person was injured and this person has no food? Do you know that this person can't get around? Do you know somebody who could drive them here or there? And part of what we are called to do is we're called to share those needs that we have with others. We're also called to seek out to see how we can help others so that we can provide physical needs. And I know many of us here in this room, we've received the blessings from this church family. It's common, at least when we had our kids, when we had both of our daughters, people would just shower us with food. They know that mom and dad are just exhausted and they're tired and they, you know, they, they don't want to wake up. They just want to change diapers and go back to bed. And they, they know this is how we can bless you. I know many of you, you've been injured, you've been sick, you, and, and you've received the same blessings. Well, that's what we're called to do as a church. The second mark of a Christian family is that we share our hearts with one another. We share our hearts with one another. So not only are we called to share the stuff that we have, but sharing our hearts with one another also. Read, read this, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. It's kind of interesting. Therefore, he's writing to a group of people that he was not with that long, right? Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm, thus in the Lord, my beloved. You hear the words that Paul is saying about this church. And sometimes we all think, well, he's an apostle. He has to use flowery language. Or, or he's the leader. He has to talk. No. These are brothers and sisters to him. And this is his heart attitude towards his fellow believers. I love you and I long for you. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my beloved. Paul was not in the church so that he could go and send statistics back to the mission board in, in Jerusalem. He wasn't in the church so that he could go to missionary conferences and say, let me tell you about the church of Philippi. He wasn't in, in the church so that he could brag to all his friends that he started so many different churches. He loved them, and he cared for them. In fact, when he left their city to go to Thessalonica, uh, the church of Philippi, though they weren't together that long, they actually gave him material support. They sent him personnel support. And Paul, right after Philippi, he, he goes to the church in Thessalonica. He stays there for a little bit. And he writes this to the church in Thessalonica. But since we are torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before the Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Just hear the heart of Paul. This is, this is one brother to another believer. Do you have that sense of longing and joy for those in this room? Can you say, I long and I desire to see you come to faith, and not just to see you come to faith, to see you grow in your faith? Paul was only with them shortly, too. And then there was a, you can read in Acts, uh, there was a uh, chaos that he left and he was kicked out. So he was worried about them. He's like, I don't know. I, I only kind of established a church very briefly. I don't know if they're still growing. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother. This is the best worker that he had. God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith 
that no one be moved by these afflictions. For this reason, when I can bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul could have used Timothy where he was at. Paul needed the help. Paul needed the support. But Paul loved the church so much that he says, let me sacrifice so that I know how you're doing. Let me give you my very best so that I know that you're being established in God's word. You're being established uh, in the gospel. But now that Timothy has come back to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. Hear what he's saying to this church that he does not have a long time with, but he has such a heart for. Because I know you are growing in the faith. Because I know that you are established in the faith. Because I know that you love Jesus and you're, you're doing the things that Jesus wants you to do. Because I know your spiritual state is growing and growing. I live. I'm happy. I, I, I could die. It's what he's saying. He's saying, I, that is all that I really want. That is all that I desire. Sharing our hearts means caring for one another physically, emotionally, but especially spiritually. There's a deep desire to see the other in our church grow and thrive and prosper. Too often, especially in our culture in America, too often we look at someone who we know, they're clearly not following Jesus. They claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, but they're, they're taking actions that are destructive. They're, they're, they're having behaviors that, that clearly go against the teachings of Jesus. But when we see that, we think, well, it's not my problem. Who am I? I, I don't want to interfere. I don't want to you know, step in, right? Because it, it's me and Jesus. It's him and Jesus. No, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches. Our church family is called to care for one another, especially how we're doing spiritually. Or sometimes we see someone who uh, maybe starts off, they come to church often, they come to Bible study, they come to small group, and they, they start uh, skipping more and more. They, they make other priorities, and, and we, we just notice that they're, they're making, uh, they're, they're backsliding is the Christian term that we use. And we think, well, they're adults, I guess. They're making their own decisions. You know, being a church family means we speak truth, even if truth is hard. It means caring for our siblings to the point of sharing our entire lives with one another. It means opening up our homes and our hearts, sharing our struggles, encouraging each other as we trust God to overcome sin. It means praying with one another. It means sitting with each other, even when it's painful knowing that our presence is enough. It means sharing your hearts and being and rejoicing when we see others have victory over sin. It means rejoicing when we see others share the gospel for the very first time. Rejoicing when we see others begin to make disciples. You begin to make disciples. That's what it means. That's what Paul is saying. When we become Christians. We're adopted into the family. And what that means is not only do we share our stuff with one another, it means we share our hearts. 
We care about how they're doing spiritually. Listen to what Paul says earlier on in this letter. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Every, I hold nothing back, Paul says. What do you want? Because you have become very dear to us. The question, I guess, really for us is, can we say this to each other in this room? Or can we say this to each other in our family groups, and our small groups? Can you say, I am so desirous of you. I, I, there is nothing that I hold back. It, it's all yours. How can I share my life, even if it costs me a lot? And I think that's the hard part, because sharing always costs, doesn't it? You ask any kid, you're like, yeah, sharing, it costs me my time. It costs me my rights. It costs me the ability to choose what I want. But Paul says, everything is yours because you're very dear to us. Being a part of God's family means we share our stuff with one another. It means we share our hearts with one another. It also means we stick with each other through the joy and the messes and we grow together. We stick with each other through the joys and the trials, the chaos, and grow together. Now let's be honest, being in a family is hard, right? If you, if you have a large family, you know that. If you have a small family, you know that. It doesn't matter. Being in a family, it's hard because we are sinful people. And we each have our own uh, personalities. There's arguments and disagreements and conflicts. And there are times when we think we're right. Or, or there are times when we, we, we think uh, the way we're doing things is the only way it should be done. And everybody else is like, I can't believe they're just idiots. But each one of us, is an important part of this family. If one of my daughters just decided, hey, you know, I have two girls, Kai and Mika, you know, one of them just says, hey, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm done with this family. Where I'm, uh, I can't handle it anymore. I wish I had different parents. And so they just pack up their bags and they say, okay, bye, Dean, Jimiko. I'm going to go look for new parents. Well, how do you think we would respond? Good riddance. No, no, nobody would say that. Or may, maybe. But not right now. We love them too much. Um, I say, no, no, no. You can't leave this family. We love you. If you left this family, there'd be a huge hole in our family. There'd be a huge hole in the fabric of who we are. This is because God gave you to us, and, and God gave us to you. And oftentimes, we don't translate that to the church family. We say, well, you know, there's a home of Christ in Cupertino. There's abundant life in Cupertino. There's a Valley Church in Cupertino. There's an Episcopalian Church in Cupertino. There's a Nazarene Church in Cupertino. There's CCIC in Cupertino. We could go to any church. I don't like this. I'm going to leave this church. I'm going to go to another church. And I'm not saying there are not reasons for us to find a new church or a different church, but that should not be the first choice, our first option. We have to realize that spiritual growth comes from commitment to a community. That understanding what it means to be a part of a body means sticking with each other through the joys and the messes. Spiritual growth comes when we invest and pour into others. As we encourage and hold each other accountable, we allow others to speak into our lives. It's like, well, you don't understand, Pastor Dean. I'm having a conflict with this person. I don't want to talk with this person. I, I'm just sick and tired. I'm just leaving. You know, Jesus talks about this. It's kind of interesting. And a lot of times we look at this passage that I'm about to show you, 
And we think, well, this is how we kick people out of the church. That's not the context of this passage. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 18, he says, look, if a brother sins against you, right? If someone has done something wrong to you, now there's another passage that he taught, you know, if someone holds something against you, but here is a brother sins against you, he says what? Go and find another church. He doesn't say that. Go and run away so you don't have to confront them. He doesn't say that either. You go and tell him as well. Go talk to that person. Between you and him, you and her, talk to him. Say, hey, you know what? You did something, and I'm hurt by it. It offended me. I'm just letting you know. If he listens to you, right, if there's resolution, then you've gained a brother. You've gained a sister. Everything is good. Say, hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't realize what I did was wrong. You know, we're all sinners. The blood of Jesus Christ forgives both of us. Thank you for understanding But if he doesn't listen, what does Jesus say? Go find another church. Go, 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 go move away. No, he doesn't say that. He said, well, take another person along. Right? Because the family and the early, early church would understand this. The family is that important. We don't just, we don't just up and run. We don't just leave and say, well, you know, I'm, I'm tired. I don't want to deal with this anymore. We fight even when it's hard because we're family. If he does not listen, take it one or two along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. And this isn't to say, hey, my team is bigger than yours. My guys can beat your guys up, right? It's just to say, hey, you know, here's two people. They can help mediate. They can help listen. And sometimes we're just so caught up in our emotions that it's hard to hear. And here's two or three other people who can help. And we trust both of these guys. And if that person says, oh, hey, I didn't realize this was such a big deal. I, I'm glad I'm able to re- help you resolve. Uh, I'm, I, I, I want to resolve this, then, then great. But if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile tax collector. And, and sometimes we look at this verse and say, okay, look, we could kick him out. But notice that the, the context of this, I, I don't show the verse here, but if you turn to Matthew 18, it's about Jesus looking for the lost something, looking for the lost, going lost, looking for everything. The whole point of this is how do we keep people in the church, not how do we kick people out? We go to great lengths to have reconciliation, to have godly relationships because we are family. And we're here to stick it out with one another through the joys as well as the mess, to grow in maturity with one another, so that, as Paul says in the letter to the church in Corinth, we become like Christ. My goal, my dream, is that I see all of us, and you see me, grow up and become old and wrinkly and saggy, but we're like Christ. You look like Christ, you act like Christ, you speak like Christ. That's my goal, that's my my hope for us as a church family. And Part of that requires us sticking it out with one another. So as we look forward to a new year, as we examine what it means to be the church, which is God's family, a couple questions I want to leave us with. And we're going to go into time of communion, and we're going to uh, change things up a little bit also because of this sermon, but maybe ongoing. Are you a member of God's family? Now, I know you may have sat through this and you're like, huh, it's nice, but I'm not a Christian. And, and, and I want to be as clear as I can, you're either part of God's family or you're not. 
Coming to church does not make you a part of God's family. Having Christian parents does not make you a part of God's family. Memorizing a lot of scripture or going to uh, Sunday school does not make you a part of God's family. What makes you a part of God's family is if you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you're part of God's family. And for some of us here, perhaps we are not part of God's family. And if that's you and you say, well, I want to be a part, I want this family, I want this, this, this community of believers, let me encourage you, would today be the day where you say, I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ? And what that means is you, you just talk to God. We call that prayer, but it's really just talking to God, and God is always listening. You say, God, um, I want you to take control of my life. I know there's a lot of things I do that doesn't please you, but I want to please you, so help me please you. Will you forgive my sins, and will you, will you lead me? Will you give me your Holy Spirit? And God says, yes, I will. Welcome to the family. And if today is that day for you, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to, to, to explore what faith looks like for you. You could talk to me or any of the pastoral staff or our elders who are here today, if you're any, at all curious. The second thing is, are you part of a small group? And, and the reason I bring this up, even though we are a big church family, a lot of what we are trying to do requires the closer intimacy of a smaller group of the sharing of stuff, of sharing of hearts, of sticking together. It requires uh, a closer intimacy. And so if you come to church on Sunday, I praise the Lord. I'm so glad you come. But are you part of a smaller group that will hold you accountable, that will help you grow in your faith, that will challenge you and say, hey, you know, this is something you told me that you're struggling with. How are you doing? How can I help you? How can I walk alongside you? And if you're not, consider joining one. And you might think, well, you know, Pastor Dean, I want to, but there's just not one for me to, you know, talk with any of the staff again. We'll start a brand new one for you. And finally, here, here's the, the last one. Get to know those in your group. I, I know that seems obvious, but get to know those in your group. Get to know what's really going on in their hearts, what's really going on with their spiritual lives. And also get to know those outside of your group. We, we discovered, actually, as we're going through the whole discipleship uh, theme for last year. One of the challenges for us as a congregation is we actually don't know each other very well. That's one of the challenges that we face, and I think uh, many churches do face that. And so over the course of this year, we're going to try to overcome some of these obstacles. We're going to try to have regular uh, English congregation lunch lunches where we as a church will stick around after and just talk with each other. We'll continue to encourage discipleship relationships We'll, we'll continue to encourage intergenerational uh, gatherings, but get to know those outside of your group. It's kind of interesting because uh, as I'm talking to various people in various demographics, uh, it seems like everybody is saying to me, like, I'm happy with my group, but uh, nobody else seems to know me. Right? And everybody has that sense of isolation. And it just takes one person to start it. Share your hearts with, with those in your group. Share your stuff and commit to sticking it out with them. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful, Lord, for your family, for what you have called us to. Sometimes we take our families, both our physical as well as our spiritual families, for granted. 
we place them lower in priority than you would want us to. But God, would you give us a heart to love those in this room? If we can't even love those in this room, God, I, what hope does the world have? Would you pour your love into our heart through your Holy Spirit? Would you go before us this year, in 2019, that our communities may see this radical idea of family, the church as a family? Might this itself be an evangelistic endeavor? We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. So we come now to uh, our time of communion, and we're going to try something a little bit different today. Um, I'm going to ask all of you guys, this is typically a time where we, uh, we will just take the elements, we will uh, pray individually and take the elements individually. But what I'm going to ask all of you is I'm going to ask you to arrange your chairs so that you're sitting in a group of three to five people. All right, all of your chairs are should be unhooked. Turn your chairs around to groups of three to five. We're going to pass the elements around uh, to your group, and as you take the elements, share with others what's going on, what God has been teaching you, or perhaps what New Year's resolution that you hope uh, that God would would help you accomplish this year. This is in a time. This is a time for us as a body, a family of believers, to share our hearts, to share our hope and to learn what it means to be a family. So go ahead and break up into your groups. Jesus says, for I receive, or Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to pass the elements around. When you get the elements, when everybody has shared, go ahead and pray. And then we're going to continue worshiping.